Welcome to the Soft Life with Sadie Baddies. Sadie Baddies is the antidote to mental health stigma, and this podcast is hosted by yours truly, Priscilla O. Adjman. We are a virtual sanctuary centering Black and multiracial people, and we prioritize the mental and emotional nourishment that is the foundation of collective healing in our communities. Thank you for being here. Welcome back to the Soft Life Baddies. Welcome to episode 47. I cannot believe we're already past the 40s now of all of these episodes and just welcome you back welcome to this space that I hope is always a place for you to land softly. Today's episode is are we living in a dystopia and learning how to transmute anger into action, learning about cognitive dissonance and community care. So first, I want to just do an emotional pulse check on how I'm feeling and how my perception of how my community is feeling, because that's really what's important to me. Personally, I'll be honest with you, I have been finding the last few weeks extremely challenging. From a creative perspective, from a personal perspective, socially, it has been a very challenging time for so many of us and because we a lot of us are collectively grieving and we are grappling with truths and things that we have been taught our whole lives and there is I feel like we're all hitting a wall right now of okay what what's the truth what is what is real what is what we've been spoon-fed and led to believe and following that intuition and understanding that depending on how you grew up in your upbringing, it really does shape the way that you see the world and your worldview. I have been personally reading up on a lot of what's happening specifically in Palestine, in Gaza, in Sudan, in Congo, all over the world. There are a lot of atrocities happening at the same time, simultaneously. I've been watching a lot of documentaries. I'll start there. I've been reading a lot of essays. I've been reading some recommended literature about what is happening in Palestine. And I've just been trying my best to stay connected and stay grounded and be as in-person and IRL as I possibly can. And I understand that what is happening specifically in Gaza right now is a genocide. and. I think it's very, very scary that even saying that word could ruffle feathers and make people feel ostracized. But in reality, Islamophobia is rampant all over the world in the United States. Many people are also experiencing anti-Semitism and various hate crimes. So in general, the energy is is tense. It's It's scary. It's it feels dark and heavy. And right now, nothing is business as usual. This is not a walk in the park. I think people are taking off their rose colored glasses and putting them down and really wanting to see what is happening and the repercussions of what we're all seeing on social media. People are getting doxxed. People are getting fired. People are getting censored. We have senators getting censored. We have people getting killed for speaking up. We have people getting their lives threatened for speaking up. We have people being harmed, physically harmed for speaking up and saying what they believe is true. 
it's very dangerous right now to be outspoken. And it's scary to take that that first step of of wanting to even say anything. But where has fear ever gotten us collectively? Where has moving in fear and moving with a fear mindset and allowing fear to control us, where has that gotten us collectively? What I've learned and what I've come to understand is that, as Angela Davis said, freedom is a constant struggle. And there is the interconnectedness and there is a overlap of the suffering and oppression of people all over the world, specifically right now, I'm thinking of the people in Gaza and the people in Sudan, people in Congo that are all facing genocides. And this has really, this is really presented with a challenge to a lot of creators. We've seen creators get it right and share resources and support. And we've seen creators stay silent and not say anything for fear of retribution, for fear of circumstances, maybe missing out on a brand deal that, you know, they're working on. And then boom, next thing you know, they lose a contract. They're not able to eat um, or pay their rent. And that's understandable. What I would also say is that even with that fear, taking a minute to understand and also educate yourself, whether it's private or public. And I think the first thing is taking that step and and realizing and understanding what is happening to you, what is happening around you. And being able to sit with those feelings of discomfort. And that's where cognitive dissonance comes in. Cognitive dissonance is the state of having inconsistent thoughts, beliefs, or attitudes, especially as it relates to behavioral decisions and attitude change. There are some signs of cognitive dissonance. So if you've been feeling really conflicted with your values and beliefs, there are actually signs that you might be experiencing cognitive dissonance. So one of the signs of cognitive dissonance is general discomfort that has no obvious or clear source maybe confusion about what you believe to be true and what is not true, feeling conflicted over a very controversial or disputed subject matter, such as what's happening right now. People saying that you're being a hypocrite. Maybe at first, you know, you shared support and didn't really know where you were coming from. You were just seeing your friends or people in your timeline sharing support and you really didn't understand what you were talking about. Or maybe you were just getting your news from social media. But when you also take the time to unpack and unlearn, you can realize, oh, okay, this is a different perspective that I never had even considered. And another sign of cognitive dissonance is being aware of conflicting views and or desires, but not knowing what to do with them. So again, it's it's that conflict. It's that discomfort of wanting to understand what's true, but also being presented with information that feels maybe even intuitively, you feel like, hmm, this doesn't feel right. And a lot of us have dealt with cognitive dissonance our whole lives and have not even realized that, wow, we have only been taught one side of history. And that is generally speaking, the undertone of of the public school system in America. I grew up, you know, going to public school in America and, you know, we were not really always given a wide perspective, a wide lens of 
all global histories, not just America's global history. So I just want to encourage you and remind you that being presented with new information is a good thing. It's okay if you were wrong about what you learned and realized that, hey, this is actually not the truth or I'm only learning one singular side of the story. And just as Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie says, the danger of a single story, only having one single story, one storyline is dangerous because when you don't understand or don't get a full perspective of what's happening, you're only looking at one really small sliver of what's there and what's true. And you're also neglecting and avoiding the perspective and lived experiences of everybody that's involved. So the reason why we use the word dystopia, and I've been seeing that pop up more and more, is that people feel like right now we are living in a dystopia. You know, um, right now we're in a time in history where we are seeing some of the most gruesome and grotesque images and videos and in live footage of massacres that we have never seen in our entire lives from all over the world, in Gaza, in Sudan, in, in the Congo, all over the world. We are seeing we are seeing things we never thought we would see before. And a lot of us don't know what to do. A lot of us are like, what am I supposed to do? I have to work. I have to pay my bills. I have to go to school. I have to make sure my kids are good. You have all of these responsibilities that take precedence over what is happening on a global scale. And that and a dystopia is known as having an imagined state or society in which there is great suffering and injustice and typically one that is totalitarian or post-apocalyptic. So some of us are feeling like we are living in a dystopia. We are living in a society where there is such a mudding of what is justice or or suffering. I, I really look at like the suffering that we're seeing on a live scale is is unprecedented. So a lot of us are feeling like we are in a dystopia right now. And I, again, want to encourage you to remember that it is okay to change your mind when you are presented with new information. That shows that you're a human being that has a conscious, that shows that you're a human being that has the capability to grow and look past what you originally thought was true. And I'll start with myself. I grew up in an evangelical Baptist church in New Jersey, and I was immersed in religious activities from childhood all the way until age 21. So my worldview and my perspective and my personal politics, I guess you can say, were really shaped by my upbringing and what I was taught to believe, what I was being literally taught in in outside of school, but I'm saying like on the weekends, the evenings, during the weekdays. If you were a church girl growing up, you know that Wednesday was Bible studies, Sunday or Saturday was choir practice. Maybe you had youth group, maybe you had praise team, maybe you had uh, a dance group you were part of. I was part of all of that. Like I was really, really in that space. And I do think that those were very important formative years for me. They taught me community. It taught me connection. It taught me the value of 
loving other people outside yourself and um, again, service. So I do really appreciate those years. Um, Don't get me wrong. Those were really, really important years for me. However, as I got older and I evolved, my worldview started to change and naturally so. And I, again, want to encourage you that it is okay for your views on things to change as you get older. My worldview transformation started with taking critical theory in college. I took this first year critical theory course with this dope professor and she was such a badass. She was so dope and she introduced literature to us I had never read before. So we were coming across authors and writers and activists such as Audre Lorde, Bell Hooks, James Baldwin, and it was a transformative. It was like my mind was getting a makeover, literally. It was getting like a system reboot. And ever since then, I really started to unlearn some of those thought patterns that I had had before because I was being presented with new information. And I started to embrace a liberation practice. I understood what liberation to me was not just this thing like, oh, okay, you know, enslaved people were enslaved and now they're free. Like that's liberation. No, liberation is a daily practice. It's a daily movement. And it requires all of us to step up and be a part of the social change. And I left with the realization that none of us are free until all of us are free. That's why we're seeing these overlaps of what is happening in the global community and how a lot of this is connected. These systems of oppression are connected. Um, my public health journey also really allowed me to open up my perspective and kind of start unpacking this cognitive dissonance that I was having prior to learning new information. I, as you know, pursued a master's in public health, and that's what I call my empathy training chapter of my life. I was in an emergency department. I was experiencing literally the the chaos of, of trying to help so many people from all walks of life, everybody, just diverse individuals that were in there for a certain reason, whether it was for a psychiatric reason or a physical condition or critical care, I was seeing every single person come in with a different story. And so that, again, being in a diverse environment allowed me to change and shape and morph my worldview. If you grew up in a certain area and the Everybody you know looks like you. It's very common for you to have a very similar worldview to the people around you. So traveling, being able to kind of shift your perspective, living in a different city, a different town, a different state, a different country allows you to change your perspective because you realize like, wait, everybody's not the same. There's people that are different. They have different perspective and opinions. And I still have to respect that and embrace that. Um understanding that people are different. They come from different backgrounds. And I started to shift my, pers- my, my, my internal understanding of myself from being an individual to being someone who has a communal identity and someone who is a part of a larger ecosystem. And this public health journey where I, you know, published research and 
had an internship and worked closely, you know, with global health experts and focused largely on immigrant health and and immigrant global health, mental health. I started embracing that liberation practice for the global community. So I, I went from looking at myself, you know, my family, my friends as like, okay, this is my community to in college, looking at the people around me, people I went to college with as my, my community to then looking at myself as part of this community, this ecosystem and the people who I've never even met still being a part of the global community that I embraced. So there was a step-by-step process. I didn't go from, you know, someone that was like going to church all the time and doing all this stuff to being someone who was outspoken and maybe had different views than people, even in my family or people around me and being okay with that. Right now, we have the current crisis that we're experiencing globally. Um, Of course, we're seeing the, the crisis and the massacres and the terrible, terrible destruction that's happening in Gaza right now. And just acknowledging the scale of suffering, like the lives lost, like from a human, from a human perspective, whether you're polarized about this topic or not, but just seeing the the lives lost, the homes that are demolished, the torture of starvation, thirst, disease being spread. From a human perspective, as a a human with empathy, you can understand that this is a crisis. This is a public health, probably one of the biggest public health crises we've ever seen. And it's really hard to swallow that. That, of course, from someone who does not live in that area, who lives here in New York City and is far away, I still understand how we are interconnected about this crisis that's happening. And sometimes we can have this challenge in responding and this hyper, this hyper individualism that sometimes we have as a generation and as a society, we have this hesitation to speak up. We can become very apathetic and not care, not give a fuck and say, well, this is, this is nothing to do with me. It does have something to do with you and just have this cognitive dissonance. So I think that I've seen so much collective effort about the ongoing struggle that's happening and the ongoing crisis, the genocides that are happening. I've seen so much collective effort, especially from my community, and I'm really proud of that. But you may not see that on your end. You might see the opposite. So I acknowledge that depending on where you live or who you're surrounded by your network, you may not be seeing people um, be supportive and you may not see people protesting in solidarity. And what I will say is I'm really grateful for the people in that I know in my community that are unlearning and also open to course correcting. Right. Again, I'm going to say this throughout the episode. It is okay and it is healthy to change your mind and your perspective when you are presented with new information. And I know that from a humanitarian perspective, we are all aching and just waiting for this to end, this constant bombing. This we we're, we're all waiting for this to finally end. And I think a lot of those feelings of anger, despair, hopelessness 
that is bringing up a lot of emotions for a lot of us. And one thing that I do when I'm trying to transmute anger into action is I try my best to first name the feeling. I name the feeling that I'm feeling. I might even pull out the emotional wheel to help me name some of those feelings and write them down. Write down those emotions that come up and maybe you don't have the words from them. They just feel like something in your body. But finding the words, finding the language can help you really start to move past those feelings and honor them as well. It's not really so, okay, I'm angry. Let me get over it. It's more so sitting with it, learning from it and understanding how those feelings can catapult you into doing something that's actionable. So remembering your power and your source and your center is essential in this practice of transmuting anger into action. Because when you remember your power and you remember that you are more than what oppression sees you as, it allows you to come back to that strength, that resilience that we all have. And especially, especially as Black people, especially as people of the diaspora, people of color, we all have that resilience because for a lot of us, if we look back in our history, we're like, wait a minute, you know, my my family didn't necessarily catch a flight here and just decide to land. Like they were forced to be here or they had to leave their home country because of war or because of poverty or famine or there's so many reasons why people have to relocate and migrate to a different country to start over. And remembering that resilience that comes from your ancestors, that's really what keeps you motivated and keeps you going to continue speaking up. There is a beautiful example of this from an amazing social change innovator, I would call her. And her name is Deepa Iyer, and she created this beautiful wheel that shows the social change ecosystem. So in that wheel, you have your healers, you have your weavers, your guides, your frontline responders, your visionaries, your builders, your caregivers, your disruptors, You everybody has a role. And understanding what your role is can really allow you to feel empowered and motivate you again to continue doing this work because this is not this is not a race. The, the, the road to liberation is a marathon where our ancestors have been working towards liberation for centuries. And this is not something that is going to happen overnight. And I think it's really important to be mindful of that and not just expect things to happen in the blink of an eye. Um, and so referring back to this social change ecosystem is really motivating for me. I've looked at it so many times in the last few weeks and it really helps me to understand what my role is. Honestly, I see I see myself being more of like a weaver and a, a caregiver as far as where my social change role is, but I think there could be more. I think there's probably a blend of these roles that I play in my life right now. And... One other really important aspect of transmuting anger or those feelings of despair into action is learning how to lean all the way into community care. We have a great guide on Instagram about five acts of community care that you can try, but I'll name four here because I think it's really important to 
realize that again you're not powerless and the voice that you do have matters um and it might just seem like a drop in the bucket or oh this is pointless you cannot get sidetracked by fear in this fight you cannot get sidetracked by fear you cannot count yourself out before you even give it a shot and learning about and joining an organization in your community whether it's healing circles, community grieving, mutual aid groups. We have been sharing a lot of resources on Instagram, specifically on our story of resources, but we also have um, a Substack that we wrote on liberation, empathy, and unlearning on Substack, which has a list of resources available to support the ongoing genocide and crisis that's happening in Gaza. So you can learn about and join an organization in your community. There's so many happening all over the world. Donating clothes um, to a local cause. Again, this social change is, of course, right now we're, we're seeing what is happening in real time. But I'm talking about long term, too. So this also means, you know, if there is a food drive happening in your community, doing something and getting involved in that. If there is something happening for people in your community that might be facing homelessness, getting involved in that. So there are so many other causes for you to step up and be a part of your community. And there's actually, there's data that shows that volunteering in general is proven to reduce stress, it increases confidence, it increases that feeling of connectedness and finding your purpose. And as we always say, there is no self-care without community care. So donating your time, your skills, um, doing mutual aid with your community groups, that is one really, really great way to lean all the way into community care. Another way that we can just embrace more compassion, more empathy, is to start small and offer to drop off groceries or run an errand for a neighbor or somebody in need. Thinking outside of yourself, thinking about how can I be a better human today and listing out what what are some of those ways that you can do that. A lot of times it involves helping someone else. So getting into that practice of helping other people, especially if you didn't grow up or you weren't raised to necessarily be considerate of other people all the time, it's never too late to start. It's never too late to look outside of yourself and see who is in need and how we can support one another locally as well as globally. So lastly, you know, in terms of community care and social change, of course, searching for petitions, calling your representatives, going to protests, other mutual aid groups, and remembering to be smart while you do that, specifically for protests. If you are going to a protest, like again, from a community care aspect, it's really important to protect yourself physically, mentally, all of those things, but protect yourself, wear a mask. And this also goes for, you know, of course, public health reasons. If you're in a large crowd, it's always a good idea to wear masks, but also just for your own safety, your own digital safety, you know, just protect yourself, be mindful. There's a lot of guides on how to protest safely. And 
I encourage you to review those before you do decide to go out and protest. And one major point of this desire for change is that that stagnancy of feeling stuck and moving past that and actually choosing action. That feeling stuck is debilitating at times because that numbness, that even neutrality sometimes can feel numbing. So when we are able to move past that feeling of feeling stuck or we're able to grapple with that cognitive dissonance and come through with, okay, this is the clarity that I needed, take action. So any of those action items that we just mentioned are a great way to start. And I'm sure there's so much more. So if you have more, this will also be on Substack. So if you have more, please comment on our Substack and let us know what you th- what your thoughts are about community care, social change, and moving towards this liberation practice collectively. And lastly, I want to mention self-care. There are so many ways to practice self-care while still being proactive, while still openly and honestly moving towards this liberation practice collectively. And of course, you know, taking breaks online is helpful. I don't necessarily think you need to be chronically online 24-7. But of course, I know a lot of us are keeping up with journalists on the ground who are showing us and sharing what is happening specifically in Gaza um, and all over the world. It's important to stay connected and understand what's happening. But again, it's necessary to to take those breaks momentarily to to remember your your humanness and also not get used to the fact that this isn't normal. You know, that that's something important is when we consume a lot of media, we consume a lot in general, we start to normalize certain things. So don't ever get used to seeing people being murdered on on film or or people babies you know dying or any of that don't ever get used to that that's not normal so taking those breaks helps us to remember our humanity and it's important for us so that we don't become on autopilot what speaking of autopilot remembering your body and your breath always remembering to Take a deep breath to come back to your center. If you're starting to feel numb, shaking off that energy. In our last episode with Umu Salah, who is an amazing and incredible therapist and speaker, they shared some great somatic practices that they use. And shaking, wiping off, and coming back into the body is one really, really great way to center yourself and transmute those feelings. So another form of self-care at this time is to, what I love to do and what I aim to do every morning is offer meditation. And there is a lot of different meditations that you can do for collective peace. There is also um, a prayer called Metta, which is essentially world kindness and kindness within the self, but also kindness to the world. So maybe doing a prayer for yourself or for others, calling a loved one, and also using your art. If you're someone who's an artist, this is a this is a time to capture and collect what the collective consciousness is feeling. 
how would we know about the civil rights movement if there were not these artists that were singing about what's happening in Montgomery, Alabama? Or how would we know what's happening during World War One or World War Two if nobody was documenting it or nobody was filming it? So being able to capture what's happening is so important. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. That is an extremely, extremely important job. I mean, look at the amount of journalists that have died in Gaza. They're capturing and documenting what's happening in real time. And they're facing major repercussions for that. So I think it's really important to remember your skills, your natural skill sets. And if that is art, painting, drawing, cooking, whatever it is, is to create something that can document and solidify this time in history. Because trust me, we are going to look back at this time and say, oh my God, I cannot believe that happened. How do we let this happen? And there's going to be proof because there's going to be people that documented exactly what happened. And as Nina Simone says, how can you be an artist and not reflect the times? If you consider yourself an artist, and I, we've seen a lot of artists become vocal, but we've also you know, been challenged with, okay, how do I share that? And again, it could be private for if you feel like this is something that you want to unpack with yourself first, that's fine. But also understand that there are people that are open and willing to see what you're able to create. And I want to remind you that fear is super, super powerful. It's a very, very powerful tool. So fear and staying in fear can keep you numb. It can keep you stagnant. But calling your energy back to you, calling back your power is how you stay connected to the source. It's how you stay connected to each other. And staying connected is going to be the biggest aspect of this self-care. As you notice, a lot of these self-care recommendations do not involve necessarily you know, isolating yourself because this is not the time to isolate yourself. This is a time to be connected and be in community and togetherness. And self-isolation is not going to help any of us right now. There are very real systems in place that thrive on you being distracted, that thrive on you being apathetic, that thrive on you being ignorant, fearful, and stagnant. And your ability to move through those barriers and choose empathy choose love, truth, softness, connection, and tenderness is a superpower and do not let anyone tell you otherwise. So I encourage you again to stay soft, to stay tender with yourselves, with each other. It was really difficult for me to make this episode because I did not know what to say. I didn't want to come across as ignorant or, or not understanding how to share, but this is my truth. You know, this is my truth. And I really hope that you take any ounce of this. And I hope that encourages you to put something into action, whether it's putting a donation on auto pay, if you can, if you have the funds for it, if it's not, it's doing a community service act. It's helping a friend. It's again, the whole point is thinking about each other and starting to let go of that hyper individualism that we have been conditioned to embrace. So I really hope that this episode supports you. Again, we are going to have the link to our Substack 
where we have a list of resources available. And you can also find the social change ecosystem in our show notes. And you can learn more about what your role is in social change. I really encourage you to check that out. And I will see you very soon. I hope that you have a beautiful rest of your week. And please stay soft with each other. This is the time to be really compassionate as possible. Stay soft. Introducing Saudi Baddie's very first product, My Journey to Self-Love, the ultimate self-care guide by Saudi Baddies. Your transformational self-care journey starts right here. We've created the ultimate self-care guide just for you with over 60 pages designed to help you discover wellness routines and practices that actually fit your fast-paced lifestyle. Designed to be completed within eight weeks, this self-care guide encourages you to take simple, practical steps through introspection and awareness to deepen your self-discovery and healing journey. To stay connected, join Sadie Baddies on Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, and more, and sign up for our monthly newsletter on sadiebaddies.com to stay in the loop. Sending you hella love and stay soft, baddie.